chances are that sometime within the past year, at least one, probably more than one person has brought up the topic of the end of the world. And it's a topic that I get pretty often as a priest. People will often ask me about passages in the Bible about the end of the world. Maybe they'll come across um, passages in the book of Revelation, which are usually deeply confusing. Maybe some passages in the Old Testament from one of the prophets, or maybe even something like what we got in today's gospel. And, um, and, and a lot of times these questions come after they try to interpret maybe what's going on politically, or maybe what's going on inside of the church, or maybe something else that's going on in the world. And so there's these, these big questions. Is, um, what are we supposed to do with these types of Bible passages, and how are we supposed to respond and react to them? And uh, over the past few days in daily Mass, we've been having more and more readings that kind of speak into these apocalyptic themes. And as we enter Advent, we're going to see more of them. That happens every year in December. We see some themes of kind of this, this end-of-the-world type language. And today we have the same case. And so um, I'd like to spend some time today just to give us a foundational understanding of all of these passages, particularly in, in light of the one that we have today, so that as we continue with these conversations, whether it's with our family, with our friends, or even in our own mind and heart, um, we're a little bit more equipped on what Scripture actually says about these things. And so today what we have is uh, Mark chapter 13, and this comes from what we call the Olivet Discourse. It's a, a sermon or maybe a, a talk that Jesus gives to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. This is towards the end of Mark's gospel, very soon after this discourse, Jesus is crucified and, and we go through that story. So this is one of the, the last things that he tells his disciples. And today's passage is one paragraph out of the whole chapter 13. And it's almost impossible to understand without reading the whole chapter 13. Just like most passages in Scripture, it's very easy to take one line or one paragraph just and, and put it on a poster and let it stand on its own. And, and a lot of times when we do that, it loses its essential meaning. And it's, uh, it's really hard to really know what it's actually saying. So I think it's really important for us to look at all of chapter 13 today. In the beginning of chapter 13, the disciples asked Jesus a very important question. Actually, it's before they even ask the question, Jesus says something very shocking. He says, look at these buildings. Look at these great buildings. And, and the disciples are, are, are pointing towards the temple uh, the great temple of Jerusalem. This was the, the grand, mighty, most important building. It, it was a, a national political building, but, but even more importantly, it was a place of worship and the primary place of worship for Jerusalem and the people of God. And so they say, look how wonderful this building is, uh, Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, look how big and grand they are. He says, verse 2, that not a stone will be left upon another, and all of these will be thrown down. In other words, Jesus is saying, this temple, this great building that you love, that we all love, is going to be destroyed. That's a shocking statement. No one would have ever dared to say such a thing. This is the most important building. It's a serious thing that he just said. And the disciples said, they respond, they say, well, when is this going to happen? This is verse 4. They say, tell us, when will this be? That's their first question. 
And what will the signs be to tell us that it's about to happen? So when was it going to happen and what's it going to look like leading up to it happening? That's our two questions at the beginning of chapter 13. And the rest of chapter 13, Jesus is explaining with a bunch of dramatic cosmic images to respond to those two questions. When will the destruction of the temple occur and what will the signs be? And so here are some of the signs. You will see wars. You will see nation fight against nation and kingdom fight against kingdom. You will see earthquakes. He says, there will be false prophets who will arise and show signs and wonders to lead many people astray. He says that the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be fallen from heaven and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. Oh, and the son of man will come in glory on the clouds. So there's this dramatic imagery. And if we just read that on its own, it kind of seems like, oh, wow, that sounds like the end of the world. Stars falling from the sky. The sun is not shining anymore. The moon is not bright. But Jesus is using this language to respond to their question about when the temple of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. It's important for us to know a little bit of context that the temple being the most important building for the Jews, it was understood to be kind of like a microcosm of the universe. The temple was built architecturally to mimic the universe. And there were different parts of the temple that spoke to different parts of the universe. And so all of us, if we would have been Jews at the time, would have just known that. That would have just been a normal common knowledge kind of thing. Like the temple like spoke into the universe. So it's not surprising that Jesus, in responding to the signs of destroying the temple, would use imagery that mimics the destruction of the universe. And even more so, it's not surprising that Jesus would quote some of the prophets, as he typically does. We know from the prophets Jeremiah, Isaiah, and even Daniel, uses imagery of the sun being darkened, the moon not giving light, and the stars falling from heaven. And they'd speak about these symbols any time that a city is destroyed. So in the Old Testament, when those three prophets speak about the sun not being, uh, uh, the sun being dark, etc., a, t- a city's being destroyed. And so it makes sense that Jesus would in talking about the destruction of the Jerusalem temple, would use imagery of a city being destroyed because that, in order for the temple to be destroyed, you're basically destroying the whole city of Jerusalem. Okay, we're putting all this into context. And at the end, towards the middle of the chapter, we have uh, Jesus kind of sums it up with a lesson from the fig tree. Lesson from the fig tree is just as you see the, uh, the root, let's see how he says it, just as the fig tree The branches become tender and puts forth leaves. We know that summer is near. So too, when we see things like wars and earthquakes and kingdoms turning against each other and great suffering happening, when we see all that, that's when we know that the temple is about to be destroyed. And then he says in verse 30, which is in our readings today, so we're finally in our readings today, he says that a generation will not pass until all of these things occur. Generation is about 40 years. Jesus is telling these things to his disciples right before his death. He dies in AD 33 about. 
and the destruction of the Jerusalem temple was A.D. 70. After Jesus' death, Jesus was not alive to influence any of that. I mean, he was God, so he was alive, but you know what I mean. But then, verse 31, Jesus takes all of that stuff about the temple and decides to now start talking about the end of the world. He talks about the end of the universe within the context of the destruction of the temple. But he speaks about it differently. He speaks in verse 31. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, just like the Jerusalem temple. He says, verse 32, but of the day or the hour, no one knows. And then he goes on to tell another parable. And this time, unlike the parable of the fig tree, where we do know the day and time, this parable, he says, is about a master who leaves his house. This is verse 33 to 37. And leaves his servants in charge, and they don't know when the master will return, and therefore, always be ready, watch and pray. Okay, so I know that that's kind of a lot of information, but I bring that up because the first 30 verses seem like Jesus is talking about this the end of the world, and therefore, whoa, we see, we see wars, and the end of the world might be coming. But the first 30 verses are all in response to their question about the destruction of the temple which in fact takes place at the designated time that Jesus prophesies about, a generation, 40 years, AD 70. But in speaking about the end of the world, which will happen, that's part of our our Catholic faith, that there will be what we call the parousia, the second coming. In response to that, Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He is the only one that knows. And he uses that, the parable of the master leaving and the servants not knowing when he's going to return to, to reveal that. It's important for us to understand that because you have probably seen at least one prediction that the end of the world is happening this year. And, and hey, let me be the first to say that it could. It could be tonight. It could be this year. But it could also be 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, or even a million years from now, because we do not know, and Jesus is very clear about that. So then why does Jesus bring it up? Why does he make such confusing situations here in the scriptures? Why does he even allow us to wrestle with such difficult uh, interpretations? Because the Mark chapter 13 is less about terrifying us and more about giving us some very concrete words of advice. So let's go through. Throughout Mark chapter 13, he has a number of words of wisdom for us. Verse 5, he says, do not be led astray. Verse 7, he says, do not be alarmed when you hear of wars and nations fighting against each other. Verse 10, the gospel must still be preached at all times. Verse 11, do not be anxious about any of this and don't worry about what you're going to say when you're preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit is going to help you. Verse 22, beware of false prophets who claim to be the Savior of the world because there's only one Savior and His name is Jesus. Verse 33, watch and pray. 
In summary, Jesus says, do not be anxious, do not be alarmed, and do not be led astray. That's three A's for you to not do. Do not be anxious, do not be alarmed, do not be led astray. Do not be anxious about the state of affairs. Oh my gosh, the world is in flux. It's all falling to pieces. Do not be anxious and caught up in the drama of everything that's taking place and so discouraged by the media and what they're saying. Do not be alarmed. Do not be surprised when you see sin and evil in the world. Yeah, it's not a good thing and we should be upset about it, but only to an extent. We should not be that surprised. Sin is not new. Sin has always happened. We shouldn't be so caught off guard whenever we see evil in the world. Do not be alarmed. We can basically expect that the world is still fallen and that bad things still happen. Do not be led astray. Do not be distracted and caught up in, in, in caring about almost anything else but Jesus. It's so easy to do that. It's so easy to get so caught up in everything else. Do not be led astray. So that's three A's of what not to do. So what are we to do? Jesus says. He says to persevere, to pray, and to preach. Three P's. He says to watch, to keep watch, to take heed, to persevere through times of trial. We can expect suffering to exist in this world. This world is going to be tough. Persevere. We don't get disheartened about it. We continue to rely on the Lord and His grace to bring us through these challenges, to become stronger through them, and to find Jesus in them. Persevere. He says to pray. Pray because it means something, because it does something, because it, it doesn't, it not only changes our own hearts, but it even affects things in the world. It has a spiritual effect, an impact. It does something in the lives of others as well. It's important for us to pray at all times and without ceasing, as St. Paul says. To persevere, to pray, and to preach. Verse 10, he says, the gospel must still be preached at all times, despite all this suffering, despite all of these things that could discourage us. And preaching is not just for me and just for other priests. Preaching is for all of us. Preaching and sharing the gospel is part of what it means to be Christian, that despite the darkness and gloom and discouragement of the world and all the noise and distractions, the gospel must still be preached. It's up to us to shine a light of hope in this world, to remind people that we were made for Jesus Christ, to remind people that there is salvation through suffering, to remind people that this world is not the end. So it's important for us to, to see because why, why would God kind of, why, why do you think God would not tell us a day or the hour? I don't know because that's for God to decide, but one reason perhaps is because God is not looking for people that will calculate and strategically procrastinate to the last minute and then just, you know, finally be faithful to him when it's convenient. God's not looking for calculated Christians. God wants vigilance. God wants faithfulness. God wants true disciples who will 
pursue the heart of Jesus at every moment, who will persevere in good times and in bad. So it's time for us to reflect as we consider all that's happening in the world. I'm not belittling any of it. It's true. There's a lot of evil. Undoubtedly, there's a lot wrong with plenty of politics all throughout the world, locally, nationally, globally. There's a lot wrong with the, a lot wrong with the church, locally, nationally, and globally. And there's plenty that could dishearten us and get us all caught up in a frenzy. But be not anxious, be not alarmed, be not led astray. It's so easy to get any one of those three. Instead, we persevere through hard times, we pray for one another, and we preach the gospel everywhere. So today we just recommit with a better understanding that Jesus was prophesying both the destruction of the Jerusalem temple and the end of the world, but he speaks about them differently. And the second coming of Christ at the end is at a day or time that we do not know. So be at peace. Nothing changes. We continue to persevere, to pray, and to preach. Amen.